Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, I appreciate uh, Pastor J.B. Collingsworth uh, praying, uh, leading us in prayer and especially praying for our upcoming uh, series of services in February. Uh, I had uh, several people uh, catch me before the first service and say, did you see what was on that sign out there in front of the church where we pulled in? And did you know that was out there? And then I noticed every single one of them were men. Just saying, I'm just saying, they were. And uh, I said, yes, I told them to put that sign out there. And uh, I'm asking you to do this. I want you to take the, um, the offering baskets and take them and pass them down. And I want you to take just one of these cards, one of these inviter cards uh, out of the pack, uh, basket, pass it along. And then when you get to the end of the row, if you'd pass the basket back down and let them put it down under the chair, uh, so we'll be uh, giving our offerings in those a little little later. You see the, the topic, good sex, and the subtitle is, It Might Not Be What You Think. We, um, God made sex and God made marriage, and He made them to go together. But we've train wrecked that in our, in our culture, and we're not, the le- we're not the only culture to ever do that. It's, mankind's had trouble with that ever since... We rebelled against God uh, all the way back in the book of Genesis. But as we take our journey through the book of Proverbs, we're going to come next week to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. And all of chapter 5, one half, fully one half of chapter 6, and all of chapter 7 deal with this issue of good sex. For God says there is good sex and there is bad. God says there is moral sex and there is immoral. God says there is pure sex and there is impure. God says there is holy sex and there is sinful sex. God says there is um, a way of living as sexual beings that glorifies Him and that He blesses and there are ways of living with our sexuality that are... uh, destructive, destructive. And so we find in Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7, a father, a wise, loving father having a conversation with his coming-of-age son about sex. And not, not just about reproductive stuff. In fact, he doesn't get into that at all. He gets into the value and the who and the what and the why and why God created it and how it's to be expressed. and Because, you know, that could train wreck a young man or a young woman's life and will. And he knows the same thing about you and me. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, starting next week, next week we're going to do what this father did in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to talk about how to talk to your children about sex and sexuality. Uh, we're also then going to move on through the month and, and see what God has to say in those passages about how to avoid immorality and why, and why. And uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. And then we're going to wrap up the, the month talking about enjoying 
the sexual relationship in marriage. For he talks about enjoying marriage in here, but it's not general. It's not general. He's talking about the sexual relationship in marriage. Now, these those of you who've been around here long enough know I'm not a let's shock people kind of guy. I don't think there's any value in that at all. This is not my intent with this series. It is to be pa- your pastor and to help you as your pastor know what God says and why and, and to enjoy what God says and, and why. And so uh, I think, I think the, the raciest that these sermons will get will be about PG-13, somewhere in there. So um, one of our elders told me after the last service, he said, well, it's either going to be really full next week or nobody's going to be here. I'm not sure... And I'm not sure either, but that's what's happening. Now, we gave you this inviter card because I want you to be praying for the one, the most strategic person or the most strategic couple uh, that you are to invite personally to come with you to the series. And this is the invitation. Now, if you'd like more of these, I think we got a, maybe a few more of these out at the help desk and you can pick up some invitations later. But be praying. Um, our culture's, our society's dying some of us literally, because we got this wrong. And uh, we are not to hydroplane over it or act like it doesn't exist, and God doesn't. He takes it head on. And so we are going to do that too, and that happens next week. So pray with me as we jump in today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, I ask that you open our eyes, that we may see wonderful things from your Word Lord, refresh us physically and mentally and emotionally that we may fully engage in these next few minutes and not miss what You have to say to us. And uh, keep us on the path to life, we pray. And it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. Now, the Bible says that you have a destination. You are not an accident. You are not merely an animal uh, who's going to live out a life and you're not, at the, you're not a slave to your... Uh, appetites or, or impulses, uh, but that God created, I don't care who you've been listening to, you need to let God define reality for you. That'll change everything. You let God tell you who you are, where you came from, why you're here, and where you're going. For He says, you have a destiny. He created it. You're here for a special purpose, and you do not want to miss it. Uh, listen to the prayer of the the writer of Psalm 139 uh, to God uh, in verses 13 through 16. Here's what he prayed to God. For it was you, God, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. And then listen to this last phrase. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God has planned for you. It has much in common with all human beings, but it is also unique. He has a destiny for you, and there's, there is one path to live out that destiny, and He wants you to choose it. In fact, He says that we can trust the Lord Jesus Christ to guide us on this path to the destination that God 
has designed for us. Uh, King David said it best when he, he said to God in Psalm 1611, it's going to be on the screen, in his prayer to God, he said, You, you God, reveal the path of life to me. You see, it's only God who can guide us to the path of life. Every other voice takes us on the other path. You reveal the path of life to me. Your presence, in your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. See, God wants to give us, again, as Jesus described it, the life that is truly life. Now, our culture uh, says all that God and Jesus stuff's meant to just, you know, keep you in line and shame and guilt and, the, hey, here's the way to really live over here. But no, God says, no, I, I, I intend to bring you abundant joy by being in your life and you being on the path with me. And I intend for it not only to be in this life, but in the next too. Eternal pleasures. Now, in Proverbs chapter 4, as we started last week, we saw already that there are two paths in life, and there are only two. There are only two. There is the path that leads progressively into life, and there's the path that leads to gloom and darkness and death. There's the path of wisdom, and there's the path of of uh, foolishness. And last week, we learned that we can get started on the path into life and light if we will listen to the right people. Listen to God and the people who've gone before us who walked with God. Uh, and we saw uh, once again in this Proverbs that there is this father speaking to a son. And last week he called back to a grandfather who had died to say, remember, here's what your grandfather taught me. And uh, he set me on the path to life. And I'm telling you what he told me. And this, this father and this grandfather through the father is saying to the son, we are urging you, we are pleading with you, we are begging you, we are exhorting you, choose the right path. Because you get to choose. Nobody else chooses it for you. God will not even make you choose. He will influence you strongly, but you get to choose. In fact, every one of us in this room, we've already chosen you are right now either on the path that leads into life or you on the path that leads progressively into gloom and darkness and destruction and death. And if you're here saying, well, I'm not sure which path I'm on, you're probably on the path to gloom because those who are on the path to life know it. It's like, whoa, whoa, this is great. It's, as we've been singing, into marvelous light. I'm running out of darkness, out of shame. Christ puts us on that path. It's, it's the only other path. It is the path of discerning God's plan for our life, His destiny, or the way we say it most of the time, discerning God's will. And it is ascertainable. Warren Wearsby, I've got a quote by him on the screen. Pastor Warren Wearsby, I recommend that you read every book he ever wrote. Mag just magnificent. But he says, the will of God isn't for the curious, it is for the serious. What he means by that is this, if you're just kind of eh, a little curious about, look over here into the things of God a little bit, God won't fiddle with you. He knows if we're serious about Him or not. And if we're serious, He says, good, here's, here's the path. Here's my will. God's will for us 
is not like if you want to if you want to come to it like it's a buffet and you're going to pick and choose what you want God won't let you in the door to the buffet only if he knows we are planning to follow him does he give us guidance why would he do it otherwise and so uh, this is for the serious you can choose the path of the righteous. You can pa- choose the path of the wise. You can choose the path into life, the path that God blesses. And it just gets, as he says here, better and better and brighter and brighter. Listen to verse 18 of Proverbs chapter 4. It's on the screen. He says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. If you keep stumbling in life, hitting your shins, falling on your face in life, and you can't and you can't figure out what's tripping you up, you're on the path of darkness. Because people who are on the path of darkness have real difficulty drawing the line between their sin and rebellion against God and suffering that it brings. They can't see it. Now we can all everybody around you can see it. All the people who love you can see it, but you just keep bumping your head on the same rock and you wonder why. You're on the wrong path. You're on the wrong path. Get off the wrong path and get on the right one because when you're living in the will of God, it gets brighter and brighter, not darker and darker. Now, okay, said all that to say this. How do we make the choice? The choice comes from our heart. We make the choice to get on the path that leads into life and to stay on the path that leads into life in our hearts, the Bible says. Now, most of the time... When the Scriptures uh, speak of the heart, it is not describing the, the organ that is beating in your chest, pumping blood throughout your body. Most of the time, it's describing the core personality of your being, the place where your mind and your will and your emotions rest, the, the source of your, of your thinking, your thoughts and your decisions and your feelings. It is your core personality. It is your character. It is who you really are. It's made in the heart. Uh, This Hebrew term, the heart, is presented in this context with this meaning over 70 times in the book of Proverbs alone. Hundreds of times throughout the Bible. And you can make the choice to get on the path of life by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrificial Uh, death on the cross in your place for your sin and trusting Him to redeem you and forgive you and reconcile you to God so that through faith in Him, God the Father treats you a bad person like you're a good person. Because He treated Jesus, who was totally good, like He was bad. It's amazing. It's astounding. And, And you get on the path through faith in Christ. And the choice then, once you're on the path of continuing to put one foot in front of the other as you go through life and keep it on the path that leads into life. It is also made in your heart, in your heart. But we have a problem. Our problem is there are forces right now actively seeking to invade and corrupt, destroy your heart, the core of your, of your being. And they're really good at it. And they're really good at it. Our problem is that we have unguarded hearts. Many of us do not guard our hearts. We don't even think about it. Our hearts are completely exposed 
and are being trained wrecked. You cannot survive an unguarded heart. You will not survive an unguarded heart. But God says here, you can stay on the right path and have life that leads into life if you will guard your heart. Look at verses 20 through 23. It's on the screen. Here's what God's Word says to us. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them where? Within your heart, the core of your being. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Here's the big verse of the day. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It is the source of life. Why should we guard our hearts? Because among other things, God's Word says that our hearts govern our speech, they guard our sight, and they guide our steps. He says, guard your heart above all else with all diligence, he says, because what's in your heart shows up outside. It comes out of your mouth, it comes through your eyes, it comes through your actions. What is in your heart is who you really are. And so we must guard our hearts, and he says we're to do so diligently or above all else. The, the, the phrase there in the Hebrew is a phrase that is used to describe a, uh, a watchman on a wall. Let's picture the ancient world where they lived in walled cities. Everyone really hoped that they could live in a walled city because there was where the safety was. And all of those city states had armies and they had well-trained soldiers who stayed on the wall watching for the enemy to come. Anyone who would harm the city or its citizens. And this Hebrew term is the same one that is used to describe that that soldier, that watchman on the wall who is at the main gate of the city in the night watches while everybody else is asleep, diligently looking to see if harm is on its way because he knows everyone and everything he loves is in this city. And therefore, he is diligent. Now, that's the picture. He says, guard your heart like that with all diligence. With all diligence. And so, so we need to know how do you do that? So I want to get in the next few minutes, about the next 15 minutes, really, really practical on how you go about guarding your heart. Because it sounds like one of the, that some of that beautiful poetic language of the Scripture that we really don't know what to do with it. It just, yeah, let's guard our hearts. Now what? How do you do it? Okay, you ready? Here we go. There are three phrases that I want to give you to hang your hat on to remember. And, uh, and here they are. You can guard your heart if you will watch your mouth, focus your eyes, and watch your step. And here we go. Let's jump in. How do you guard your heart? First of all, jot this down. Watch your mouth. What, did your mama ever tell you that? Daddy ever tell you? Watch your mouth, young man. Watch your mouth. Look at verse 24. Read it with me uh, out loud. So some of us can wake up. Ready? I thought you was praying, but I think you was asleep. So here we go. Take a deep breath. Let's read this together. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. That's what God's Word says in verse 24. You see, part of the process of guarding one's heart, as part of the process, the wise father in the book of Proverbs told his son that he must keep perverse, crooked, devious, false Lying, dishonest, careless, crass 
corrupt and profane talk out of his life. He must keep all that out of his life. And so the question comes, it's not really clear as to where the father was saying, don't, don't speak in this manner, or whether he was saying, don't listen to this kind of stuff. It's a little bit unclear, but if we, I think if we were to go to the wise father and say, which did you mean? He'd say, both. Don't be speaking in this manner, and don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. It is foolish. Um, be careful. And so let me just, here we go. Really practical. You ready for this? Be careful what you listen to. Be careful who and what you listen to. I, I, I listen, from time to time, I'll turn on talk radio. Let me just tell you, be careful. Whether it's political, I don't care if it's to the right or the left, even some of the, the religious talk radio, um, the news stations that are talk radio, Sports talk has become the worst. I mean, you know, I used to like to listen to sports talk because they actually talked about great performances and what was going on. Now it's nasty. There are three stations that I know of in Atlanta that I'll try to figure out what's going on in the sports world. And half the time I turn on, in five minutes I've got to turn it off. Turn it off. Listen, here, much of it, much of all of this is cynical at best. Much of it is gossip. Tons of it is profanity. Much of it is sexual in your window, sometimes blatantly sexual and moral. Much of it is smart aleck or smart mouth. Much of it is hostile and much of it is hateful. Some, much of it is unloving. Some of it is actually obscene. You, you got, he said, don't do... Listen to it. Why? This stuff gets down in your heart. It doesn't stop with your ears. He said, well, I like to listen to that stuff. It's entertaining. Well, of course it's entertaining. That's why it's dangerous. It gets down in your heart and begins to corrupt your heart. And I find that people who listen to this stuff on and on, I'm, some of you some of you have become, frankly, more cynical. Some of you are a little bit gossipy, somewhat crass, some of you. Sometimes obscene, sometimes hostile, hateful unloving, calloused toward life. This stuff gets down in your heart. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. God said in His Word, coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable. And He goes on to say, it leads to further ungodliness. Further ungodliness. Uh, You've got to guard your heart because from your heart flow the springs of life. It influences everything else in your life. So watch your mouth. Second of all, he says, focus your eyes. Look at verse 25. Let's read this one out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Focus your eyes. So as part of of the process of guarding one's heart, this wise father in Proverbs told his son that once he chooses the path that leads in into life, the wise son must remain focused on it. Keep his eyes on the road, keep you straight ahead, moving straight ahead. The picture we have here is of this son being placed on a straight path, a narrow path of wisdom, the path leading into life, headed toward the goal of life together in Christ in the life that is truly life, and he's keeping his eyes on the path, keeping his eyes on the path, straight ahead. Jesus said that the way is narrow. 
that leads into life. He said it is narrow. So picture a narrow path uh, uh, in a, on a mountainous area with uh, cliffs on either side. That's a little bit dangerous, and you've got to make sure you're staying on the narrow path. That's the picture of this son staying on the narrow the narrow path. But let me get really practical here. It is true. Sometimes our hearts, our spirits, uh, the core of our being gets corrupted because of what we gaze upon. What we focus our eyes on. What we see. Not what we glimpse, but what we, what we focus upon. Our mouth, yes, gets us in trouble. Our ears get us in trouble. But our eyes get us in trouble. And because we choose to intently, when we intently look upon the wrong things, upon wicked things, upon evil things, upon perverse things, upon immoral things, upon dishonest things, upon hateful things, upon crass, profane things, when we look and we focus our attention on these kind of people or these things, we leave the path. It, it, this stuff gets in your heart. It doesn't stop with your eyes. It's not just entertainment. It gets down in your heart. We are not the first, but we are the latest society, the latest culture to make violence a major part of our entertainment. Violent television shows, violent movies, violent novels. Some of the sports that have now made prime time are incredibly violent. Turn it on and watch two people who say they like each other, beat each other senseless and unconscious, kicking and beating the tar out of each other, blood everywhere. We can't get enough of it. So, but, I, but I like to watch it. It's entertaining. Well, of course it is. Violence is like looking at a lizard. It's fascinating and revolting all at the same time. Of course it is. Let me talk about video games just a second. What are you doing with your kids? Are, do you actually have a bunch of video games where you and your kids are actually killing imaginary people? What are you thinking? What are you... Th you're not thinking. Hey, we can stop voting. The jury's out. Study after study, I mean completely non-religious studies. You go to Ivy League schools, everybody's done these studies on this kind of watching violence. It says everybody is shown to have an increase in a tendency to be aggressive and maybe a greater tendency even toward being radically violent toward people they know and love. You can't do it. Well, it's entertaining. Of course it's entertaining. That's why it's dangerous. But it gets in your heart. It gets in your soul. It corrupts our hearts. Now, we're going to deal with much more with this subject starting next week in our Good Sex series during the month of February. But when we think about guarding our hearts by the proper use of our eyes, we are confronted with the most frequent and most powerful soul-damaging practice in our world today, and that is looking upon sexual immorality. And it's everywhere. I mean, you know, we don't even need to give examples. It's everywhere. It's television shows, movies, advertisements. Um, I mean, even Hardy's hamburgers now. I mean, really. 
they've leaked their their ad for the Super Bowl, and they're saying it is going to Hardee's going to have the most seductive ad during the Super Bowl. It, it, it's everywhere. We, Allison and I went to to buy uh, protective cases for our cell phones the other day. Every single company you went to, guess what's on picture? Sexual immorality. It's everywhere, and we know it. It is everywhere, and it gets down in our screens. Now, there are people who do say, oh, Pastor, what you see doesn't really affect you. Then we probably should run and tell Hardee's and the other companies who are going to be spending an eye-popping $4 million for a 30-second spot at the Super Bowl or a jaw-dropping $8 million for a one-minute ad during the Super Bowl. We probably better tell them, hey, nobody's watching. doesn't affect them. King David said it this way. Psalm 101, look at it. He said, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Now, there's a traditional proverb. We really don't know who came up with it. Some, some credit Shakespeare. Some credit Cicero. We don't really know. Truth matters, don't really know. But here's, here's the, the, the traditional proverb that says, The eyes are the window of the soul. Whoever originated that, whoever they were, they're right. Not so much that you can look into someone's eyes and see their soul, but that the eyes, your eyes are a window into your soul. And what comes through your windows goes all the way down to your heart. All the way into your heart, whether it is good or bad. Garbage into the eyes, garbage into the heart. But by the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit in us, we are able, He has made us able to choose not to look upon the things of darkness. He's made a saving piece. I can't help what I look at. Yeah, you can. You can't help what you glimpse. You can help what you look at. Billy Graham once said, I can't keep a bird from flying over my head, but I can keep it from building a nest in my hair. You, we choose what we gaze upon. And instead, we can focus our sight on things that lead us to right steps in the path of life. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 too that we can do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We sang it to Him a few minutes ago. We sang a prayer to Him saying we will do it. We will keep our eyes on You. We will keep our eyes on You. Yeah, we better. He's the way. You see, you can't not look at something, but you, you, instead of looking at what destroys your heart, you look at who renews your heart. You, you change your focus. You change channels. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence in anything, uh, any uh, praise, dwell on these things, look upon these things, gaze upon these things. Here's, our, here's my problem, and I bet it's yours. But even those of us who walk with Christ, we still don't always do this, do we? I don't always gaze upon what is holy and just, and sometimes I do 
find myself not only tempted, but putting something vile and vulgar before my eyes. Whether it's violence or sexual immorality or who knows? I mean, you know, all kind of stuff. that just crass speech. Why do we do that? Because something's wrong with us. Something's wrong in our hearts. Every one of us. Every one of us. This is why we know that we can't do it alone. We are sinful people still in need of a Savior. And if we turn to Jesus and His gospel and have a daily vision of His incomprehensible love expressed toward us in that while we were still sinful people, He died for us and made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. He loved us so much. When we have a daily vision of His love, remembering that we've trusted in Him, that He saved us as rotten as we are, with all the sinful tendencies that we have, that vision of Him, His great love motivates and empowers us to be and do what He wants us to be and do, even in this area. You need Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now again, that's not just poetic language. It means you consciously think about the gospel and it applied to you every day throughout the day. And He changes our hearts for the good. So maybe we should pray like the psalmist. Now, this is darn good praying here. Look at Psalm 119, verse 37. Hey, men, every one of us men should adopt this as a daily prayer. You ready? Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Is that good praying? Huh? That's darn good praying. Lord, Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Since God has said, don't put any vile thing before your eyes, and commanded us, and then if we go to Him and say, well, Lord, turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless, don't you think He'll answer that prayer? Sure He will. You can pray it with confidence. Start your day out that, that way. Guard your heart, the seat of your mind, your will, your emotions, the place of your thoughts, decisions, and feelings, for from it flows your very Life, watching your mouth, focusing your eyes. Here's the third one. Watch your step. Watch your step. Verses 26 and 27 say this. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. I mean, once again, what we see here is this father urging this son that he loves magnificently, now that he's on the right path, to dedicate all his energies to staying on the right path. He said, don't even try this other. Don't st- No, don't even sample. He said, get on the road and take no detours. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Now, the New Testament passage that speaks to us says, is this one, Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 15 and 16. Jot down the reference. Uh, this is an important reference. Uh, this is the, the, these are the two verses I have written over the top of the document that is my life plan and uh, that I review constantly. Here's what God says. He says that we are to pay careful attention then to how you walk or live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. 
Proverbs 4.26 says, Carefully consider the path for your feet. Ephesians 5.15 says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Now let me see your eyes a second and then we're going to pray. This kind of carefully considering the path of your feet, this, this, this practice of paying careful attention to the way that you live, it cannot be done in a hurry. Hurry eliminates the possibility of carefully considering the path of our feet. You've got to slow down. And I'm begging you as your pastor, if you want to do one thing in 2015, that God will use to transform your life, it is this. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Look at all the things you're doing that you don't really have to do. And in the words of that great theologian and philosopher Bob Newhart, Stop it! Stop it. Slow down. And then intentionally think on these things. Look on the back side of your note sheet. I've given you six questions that I've been getting to with God on... Now, for about 15 years, well, longer than that, I guess it started in 1977 when I was challenged to get with God and get this kind of direction from Him. And so I've kind of refined it over the years down to six questions that I am perpetually pondering, uh, and I have some answers to them now, but you won't get these this in one afternoon. But I'm going to give you this tool. Here's, 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 uh, take a, a little bit of time every day, take a, half, take a couple of hours a a week, maybe a day, a month, once or twice a year, why don't you get away overnight alone with God at some Christian retreat with your Bible and a journal and these questions and, and, and beg God, give me, help me to carefully consider the path of my feet, the way I am walking. And here, here they are for me, uh, keeping fully aligned with the guidance of Jesus for my life, what is my life purpose, my God-sized vision, my life dream? Get His answer on that for you. Number two, what are the top three measurable things that I must do or be or have or help with sometime before I die? God, what do you want those to be? Lord Jesus, what should those be? Third, uh, what is my ideal year? Lord, how do you want me ideally to live this next year? And then define it best you can and put it on your calendar a year in advance. Get the big rocks in first, the things that... That matter. Uh, number four, then what are my priorities for the coming year? And define a priority as either a, a goal to reach or a problem to solve. And, and write at least one in each of the eight key areas of, uh, of your life. Spiritual, family, social, health, material, ministry, personal development, and your work. And ask of each area, what's right about my life, Lord? And then whatever's right, optimize it. Lord, what's wrong about my life? Then repent of it and change it. Lord, what's confused in my life? Bring clarity to it. Lord, what's missing in my life? Well, then add it too. Lord, help me add it too. Then five, what are the necessary action steps to make these priorities a reality? Get God to show you what to actually do that is profitable. And then number six, here's a big one. I'm constantly praying this and, and, and writing out this plan. Lord, what is my active, well-designed, intently pursued plan 
that puts me in a place where Jesus can transform my life from the inside out so that I become the kind of person who naturally does the things in keeping with the will and the ways of Jesus as revealed in the Bible. So that I become the kind of person who loves God completely, loves self correctly, and loves others compassionately. Guys, guard your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of your life. Pray with me. So take a moment and just tell Him, and right where you're seated, your own personal place of prayer. Maybe you need to confess to Him, Lord, I have, I have completely disregarded my heart. I've not watched my mouth, what I say and, how, and what I listen to. I, I've not focused my eyes and I've consistently looked upon vile and vulgar things that are corrupting my heart. Lord, I haven't watched my step and I keep stepping off the path. So Lord, forgive me and show me the way back on the path and help me by the power of Your Holy Spirit to keep my eyes on You, the author and perfecter of my faith. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.